Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon. Hi, welcome back to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. Thank you for joining us. I'm going to jump right back into the story with Chris Prangy Morgan in Wisconsin. Last week, we had her on, and her story is just incredible. Chris is an adoptive mother of two children from China. She has worked 10 years in mental health social work and is currently a hospital chaplain. She's also a writer, and she wrote an article in the Huffington Post called What Nobody Tells You About Parenting a Child with a History of Extreme Trauma. That article got her on the Megyn Kelly Show on NBC, and that's where I saw her. And last week, she came on and she shared her journey to bringing home two children, Jade, was a fairly easy adoption looking back. And then she went into adopting Kai, who was very ill, very sick. Um, He had not been fed. He had been starving. And then he had been overfed. And they brought him home. And they've taken him to doctor after doctor. And the prognosis was was not great. And and she is struggling as a mother in her story, um, really trying to figure out what she can do for this child. And how to keep her whole family together. And and those of us who are adoptive parents, we totally get it. And this story is so helpful for us and, and to educate other people who might be about to go through this or in the middle of it. Chris, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thanks again for having me. So this article that you wrote, I posted it last week on Facebook, and it is so good. It is so good for every parent to read, whether you're about to start the process, you're in the middle of the process, or you've brought home a child. You just capture what we're all thinking and you're helpful in getting help. You talk about how having children that are adopted often takes a village to raise, that you need a lot of different people in your life to help you and you need to take care of you. And we're we're at that part in your story, Chris, where you were not realizing how stressed out you really were. I mean, you probably felt it, but not to the extent that brought you to the place that you were. Do you think that that's probably true? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So this little boy has all these medical needs, but he is also struggling with attachment. And that's where it's tricky when it comes to adoption is you're doing all these things for this child that you've just brought into your home and you love them. You You love them and you want to do this and you did choose because people will say, well, you chose this. Well, yes, I did choose this, but it is very difficult to have a child reject love. So you're taking them from appointment to appointment and yet you feel like they don't even like you. They're not connecting to you at all. What was that like? Uh, You know, it was as if we were living two separate worlds. Uh, You know, we had the sort of image that we were showing the outside world, and then we had the reality at home, um, which is typical for any family, really. But with a child with attachment challenges, it's ramped up like a 100 times. Uh, And especially when your kids are are really cute and engaging, because what folks, you know, like in the general public will see is a lot different because, um, you know, our, our our kids are very superficial and what people see is what they want to see. These are very cute kids. Um, but, uh, yeah, so taking him from medical appointment to medical appointment, uh, he would be charming in these appointments and laughing. And of course he's delayed and he looks younger and is very cute. 
but he would, um, you know, kind of like walk up to anybody and, and be affectionate with anybody. And then when we'd be at home, he would fight me on all accounts. Um, you know, I remember we, we tell the fork spoon standoff where, uh, we had these little plastic forks and spoons in this little, um, container in our, in our kitchen. And most of them were in the dishwasher. Uh, and uh, most of the spoons were in the dishwasher. There was one there and there were a ton of forks. And <laughs> I said, hey, go, go get a fork or go get a spoon. Sorry. And he went over and he kept grabbing. No, wait, it's the opposite. <laughs> Whichever one it was, he would, he kept getting the wrong one. And I knew he knew the difference between a fork and a spoon. But at that time, I was like, he was doing like the opposite of what I think he, he understand or they understand what you as the mom wants mm-hmm. and they do the opposite. They do the opposite every day, all right. day long. I mean, people can't right. really understand what that's like. I remember with our reactive attachment disorder child who also had medical needs as well. Um, we would go through what's a bus, go get the bus, bring it to mommy And we do this in the day. And then my husband would come home and I'd say, oh, let's show daddy, go get the bus. And he would act like his hands didn't work. (laughs) Yeah, I totally relate. And I wanted to just scream because I'm like, we worked on this all day long. And my husband would say, well, maybe, maybe he doesn't know. No, he knows. (laughs) He knows. I'm not crazy. I know he knows. We worked on this. And he would do these show things when we'd go out into public for attention Things like I wasn't feeding him. He would pretend that I was starving him. And so he would, oh, if yeah. somebody had a snack, he would sadly look at them. Like he wasn't getting food. And so the stranger would just be handing him food. And I yeah. would say, no, you can't hand him food. Well, then they would assume, well, maybe she's not feeding him. And we went through these crazy cycles. And one of the things that you talk about in your article is post-traumatic stress disorder. When a parent starts to get trauma from a child who has trauma. Yeah. It becomes chaos. Absolutely. Because there is no normal. And the only, and you know that, especially in today's society, people become so judgmental. And with social media, especially, you know, I hate to say it, but especially women, you know, we would like to look at each other and compare ourselves and size ourselves up or whatever and think I could do it better. I mean, I, I have to say, before being a parent, I probably did that more often than I would admit. You know, mm-hmm. I think, oh my gosh, you know, it's really easy to be an armchair quarterback parent, you know, <laughs> but when you're in it and you're just doing your best and you know your child and people are, you know, people are making assumptions from their own experiences and you don't have all the time in the world to educate people. I mean, you kind of wish you did, but the only experiences they have are their own and they don't get it and they won't get it. And even people who are around you a lot don't get it to the same extent that you do. So, yeah, I mean, educating is so important. I mean, I wish we had lots of hours to talk about all the, the ways that, you know, these kiddos, I think, um, inadvertently sabotage the, the caregiver relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't dislike my son. I don't hate my, you know, my kiddo. But it's, he can be very difficult to parent at times because he sets up, and again, it, this is all not conscious, but these no-win situations that can make you look like you're just this absolute idiot parent, you know? Mm-hmm. Like the example that you gave about, you know, not feeding them. And, oh, yeah, we've had that 
so many times. So there was when my son was going to um, four four year old kindergarten, he was on the the small bus and he had to wear one of those harnesses that you zip up the back to in order to be you know kind of clipped in on the bus. And I remember when I would put this harness on him, he was very floppy. You know, he would flop. And this at this point, it wasn't muscle control anymore. It was just kind of this this passive aggressive defiance. So I, but but I wasn't. 100% sure. So I remember talking with his teacher saying, gosh, when you try to put his harness on to send him home from school, I mean, it's like he doesn't have this muscle control. And she said, really? We never had that problem at school. He, you know, he just stands up and we, you know, <laughs> yes. I mean, he's li- you know, little, there's all they they're want, smart, all those kinds of, yes. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, they're very smart. And it's a, it's a chemical imbalance. It's a, it's a brain change, right? The chemistry in their brain has changed. And, yeah. and it can be reversed and you can get them help. I'm not saying that you can't, but it's day in and day out for the mother. And so let's talk about your journey. So you decided that you were going to start rock climbing or wall climbing mm-hmm. to kind of get out and, and have your moments, your me time. Yep. Yeah, we had been climbing, uh, my husband and I, that was something we did a lot together um, as, as a couple. And then we started to bring our kids into it too. And uh, my kid had his ABA therapy in the morning. It's kind of an autism spectrum um, therapy. And in the afternoon, he had an appointment at Children's. And I had about two hours in between then to try to get my exercise. And that was what I did. I went into the climbing gym. And uh, and he was, he'd kind of sit on the floor with me and he brought his cars and his little toys and stuff. And he'd kind of line them up. But um, I, and, and I would talk to people in the gym and stuff. But I always sort of had this sense of, okay, I know what Kai is doing. You know, don't encourage him to line up because that's kind of like stimming behavior. And just, you know, keep an eye on him. And, you know, he talked to me sometimes when I was on the wall, which was distracting. And I'd say, we don't, you know, it's not safe to be doing that. But, you know, you can't tune out your children. I mean, all of us moms have that experience. So there's this one um, day or this one that, um Later on in that that afternoon, I was at the climbing gym. Uh, there was this new route on the wall, and I was talking to people. And I thought I'm going to climb it. I don't know what it's rated, but I decided to go and climb it. And I I had forgot to clip in, and I climbed literally thousands of thousands of times before, and never did that kind of mistake. I mean, everyone knows you clip in, right? But I didn't, and I fell about 28 around 28 feet straight down. Um, and, uh, ended up with some pretty significant injuries. Oh my gosh. We have to take a break. Everybody's like, she just fell 28 feet from the top of this climbing wall all the way down. What happened next? Stay tuned. You're listening to Adoption Now. We'll be right back. Hi, this is April Fallon, the host of Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. We love all of your feedback, ideas for shows, and applications to be on the show. Email us anytime at april at adoption-now.com. We would love for you to subscribe to Adoption Now podcast by clicking on the subscribe button on iTunes. Then you'll get a new story as soon as the podcast is released. Again, thank you for listening to Adoption Now. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today, we're talking to Chris Prangy Morgan, and she's telling her story about adopting two children from China. 
And she's a huge advocate for parents taking care of themselves. Everybody is hanging on to the rest of your story, Chris. This whole thing has been amazing. If you missed the first part of her story, you can find that at adoption-now.com. It's a podcast on iTunes. But this is the part of the story that is really life-changing for you. You're climbing this wall. You're struggling with, with your children. I mean, adoption is just very difficult. It's stressful. And here you are trying to get some me time and you didn't clip in and you fell 28 feet. I mean, really, you would think that a person wouldn't survive that. Yeah. Well, I did have a lot of people kind of question like, oh my gosh, aren't you just, aren't you just glad to be alive? You know? And I'm like, yeah, I am. But you know, you just, you take it as it, as it is, you know? So what happened after that? What were your injuries? Uh, well, uh, it turned out, let's see, I ended up crushing my tibia. Essentially they call it a pylon fracture. Uh, and it's the articulation joint between your, essentially your foot and the bottom of your tibia. So, uh, I crushed, I pulverized that, that bone, which was the biggest concern. Um, and then my sec- the second one was my pelvis. I, I broke my pelvis. They call it a vertical shear pelvic fracture. And um, I broke my L1, L4, L5, I broke a rib. And I, I think I need my nose on impact because I did break my nose in the, in the accident as well. And a bit through my lip uh, that they, you know, they had to stitch that up. So, yeah, I was pretty beat up. One of the things you said to me was I was trying to save this little boy's life. And in that process, I almost lost mine. And so many of us feel that way in adoption. We are struggling. Our marriages are upside down. We just did not plan on any of this happening. But your story, here you are physically broken on the ground. Did they just rush you to the hospital in an ambulance? Were you conscious? Yeah. Yep. I never lost consciousness. Uh, in fact, uh, I was, when I was laying on the floor, I was directing everybody to make the phone call to the office of children's where I was going to be taking my son. Cause I knew I wasn't going to be getting him to that appointment. I was supposed to work that night and I made sure someone called my job and I had them call my husband's work. And I, you know, it's not like I forgot any of those phone numbers. Of course I knew all those numbers <laughs> and, you know, I, I hadn't really considered myself, you know, laying there and how broken up I was. So yeah, they got me in the ambulance and took me off to uh, to the hospital and did a bunch of x-rays and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, we got all these these uh, diagnoses, which weren't, weren't good and weren't easy. I, you know, I proceeded to stay in the hospital for uh, about 14 days. And, um, and your husband ended up in the hospital bed next yeah, to you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My husband, yeah. So when the doctor was telling my husband and I, uh, the, the nature of all these injuries, he said, you know, I'm really worried about her tibia. Um, some of the potential complications can include post-traumatic arthritis, um, an amputation. And we were like, amputation? He said, yeah. And my husband was like, whoa. And he, he was wearing a sweater at the time and he kind of loosened, you know, the sweater, took his sweater off of sitting there in his t-shirt. And then he, he said, oh, my gosh, the room is spinning. And the nurses had to take him out of the room because he was passed, he passed out <laughs> from hearing all this. It's really not funny because it's terrible. I'm sure that it was so overwhelming. All of these things that yeah. you're going through with your children and now his wife is potentially going to, to lose a leg. I mean, that's a lot. Right. 
Right. Yeah. Poor guy. He said, he said, yeah, he's like, well, cause we tease him because you know, Oh yeah, it's funny that, you know, the guy can't handle it, but the broken up wife can, you know, <laughs> but he said, he says, my gosh, you're t- telling me my wife who I love is going through this horrible time. And, yeah, I know. It's very, it's sweet to tell the story, actually. I like to give him a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to listen to this and be like, oh, great, that story again. They brought yeah, that story right. up. So you did yeah, yeah. end up going through 11 different surgeries? Yep, over two years. Tell me mm-hmm. how the kids were with that. You know, it's interesting. In the very beginning, they were curious and you could tell they were afraid because, you know, I ended up with this external fixator. They screw into my hips uh, to keep my pelvis from moving. And then I had um, all these surgeries to my leg and I ended up with this thing they call a free flap when they move a a chunk of skin from my thigh over over my ankle. And that was really weird and gross. But they were like, they were really interested and they during that time, we they played doctor all the time. I mean, the kids had playing doctor down to a like a, a science thing. <laughs> it was fun to watch them, and they were really sweet. I mean, I think it it engendered in them more of an appreciation, which was cool uh, for me as a mom. It was hard because I was you know continue to think, oh my gosh, how am I going to parent them? I mean, I, I can't even go upstairs to tuck them in bed. Um, I can't run with them, you know, mm-hmm. over the two years that I did limb salvage, uh, I was on crutches all the time and I was always active. So that was what led to the, um, the decision to go forward with amputation because prosthetic technology was much better than trying to cobble together, um, a limb. And, uh, that was very painful and, uh, debilitating. Wow. So you ended up losing a limb. You ended up getting a full amputation of your leg. Um, it's below the knee. Uh, it's about let's say six inches below my knee. And uh, yeah, I'm at below the knee or they say transtibial amputee. But you said that Kai cried. He did. Yeah. When he was going through his therapy and we were lucky, you know, in retrospect, you know, when I, I'm not one to say, oh, nothing, God get, doesn't give you more than you can handle. <laughs> but really looking back at that time, um, we had such amazing resources. I mean, we had these therapists coming into our home for 30 hours a week and I couldn't have parented him, but it was like having constant help, you know, because they were with him all the time. And one of the therapists said, Chris, oh my gosh, I have to tell you, Kai cried and he just sobbed when we talked about your accident. And to me at that time, I was like, really? Like Mm -hmm. this child who won't even won't even warm up to me and I try and try so hard and it doesn't happen, but he's crying about, you know, that was to me, I mean, most parents would think, Oh, I feel bad for him. What can I do? But it was, it was, no, um, it was it's huge. <laughs> it's huge yeah. for a child that struggles with attachment to have any feeling. And so the fact yeah. that he cried shows you that there's something in there. He does love you. He does appreciate you. And, and yep. there's a connection to you that's very deep. And so that is, that's huge. And, and I think yep. all of us parents can, can relate like, oh my gosh, that was a huge moment that he, he shared with you. And how was your relationship after that? Well, you know, it's not like, oh, we changed and turned a corner and now it's happily ever after. I mean, he continues to, you can tell on a daily basis, just kind of struggle with like, just kind of going with the program, you know? It's, it's constantly a power struggle and 
it's an internal thing for him on a regular basis. And, and I've had to learn to sort of pick my battles and not enter into those power struggles and be more understanding of the fact that this is, this is hard for him too. And, you know, to really connect with him and look at him and say, you know, Kai, I know this is hard. And you know, we'll talk about his history. You know, we'll talk about the fact that he almost died. I mean, especially when the Megyn Kelly show aired and we, there were all these pictures of him on, on the air where he looked horrible. We're like, you know, he's like, I'm kind of embarrassed. Look, I look all fat. And I said, Kai, that's, that's not fat. That's when you don't eat, when children don't eat, they get those big bellies. You didn't, you weren't fed during that time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think he doesn't, a hundred percent get it, but I think deep down it's, it's, it's in there and he knows we love him and he knows we care about him. And it's just a day by day thing. I used to do substance abuse counseling and it's sort of like working a program, you know, like a 12 step program, Mm -hmm. you know, just for today, you just, you're in the moment and you can't predict tomorrow. You can't go back and do anything different. It's just, it is what it is. And how old are they now? Uh, Kai is 11 and Jade just turned 13. And how long since your accident? It will be seven years in November. Wow. You've come a long way with your kids and with your family. And you said in your article that this accident caused you to slow down. And in that process, you started to look into your kids' eyes. I love that part of the article because it's true. I can look at my kids' behavior and and feel like, come on, come on, listen. And sometimes when you look at their eyes, you can see that there's something else going on. And we, as parents, as we slow down, we stop, we can see that there's other things that are causing them to react in this way. And you know their patterns and, and just kind of reacting to their behavior is not always the answer. Stopping and seeing why they're doing that. And it sounds like you have to do that on a day-to-day basis, but I want to tell you that a lot of people have given up a lot of things to adopt, whether it's money, houses, um, their free time. It has been a hard journey. But honestly, Chris, your story of giving up your physical body for this calling, for this, for this motherhood. I mean, you win, you win, you're amazing and you're very inspiring. I encourage people to read your article, reach out to you. Um, get the help that you got for your children, but you have a, you have a silver lining of this is kind of the way it is. And we're just going to work hard with what we have and we're going to get through this. I do see that there was a purpose in everything and you grabbed onto that purpose and made it come alive. You know, we have that choice in hard times to kind of just lay down and do nothing or to, to make it come alive for our children and to use it to bring our family together. And you did that. Yeah. Yeah. I oftentimes think to myself, you know, we wanted more than anything to be parents and we're living the parenting experience a hundred percent, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly. I mean, and it's all there. I mean, and that's, you know, no, no kid comes with like a warranty, you know, I mean, I'll talk to my, my friends with biological children and they'll talk about surprises that they've had over the years. And you know, it's just, that's, that's how it is. And you just, I think presence is, I mean, it's a buzzword nowadays and mindfulness and all that, uh, but it's so important. I mean, more than a buzzword, I think everybody just needs to slow down 
And because, you know, even parents that are working a lot lose those opportunities to be with their children. And it's not always fun. But, you know, and yeah, we need to have, you know, our, our, we need money to survive and all this stuff. But we can make choices to yes. spend more time with those we love and, and those we choose to love. Sometimes it's just a decision Good to choice. make this yes. work. Absolutely. Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed talking with you. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook. And remember, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Thank you for tuning in to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week.